After Alderaan, I'm Caroline Guthrie. I'm Meg Sariello. And we're a podcast dedicated to retracing our youthful journeys through the Star Wars Expanded Universe. Got got some vague memories, but we're filling in the blank spaces on the map here. We're We're really down. Yeah, fleshing out our knowledge of Star Wars Expanded Universe. Building it out. And so today we are reading the first few tales from Moss Eisley Cantina. Yeah, so we're doing the first four. I know I think last week we said we would do the first six, but we looked at the page numbers of these and realized that was not an even breakdown of these. No, stories. no. So, um, yeah, these first, some of some these, of these first long. few are quite long. <laughs> yeah, but we got we read the first four, so we'll be yes. working our way through those today. Um, yeah. This is a setup. Very much like Tales from Jabba's Palace. I think Tales yep. from Jabba's Palace was based on based on this, if you listen yeah, to those episodes. Came before. Yeah. Yeah. So each of these stories is written by a different author, some of which have done other Star Wars stuff, some of whom yeah. haven't. And they are all centered around characters that we see in Moss Eisley Cantina in A New Hope. Mm-hmm. Right? So, yeah. see, so all yeah. these characters if you've watched A New Hope as many times as I have, <laughs> should at least be visually familiar to you. If not, you maybe know like a little tidbits about their their background. Um, and I think, I mean, we'll go through each tale, but I think sort of big picture stuff off the bat, I think we need to hit like how this is maybe different than Tales. It is Java's very Tales, different. Because it does have a very different tone. Um and and the idea of of, of uh, like sort of situating these stories around this specific place because I think that's also different than how it's done, right? In Tales from Jabba's Palace. Like yeah, I it. agree. I agree. Yeah. You you want to do the tales first? Or you want to do the talk about that stuff first? Let's do the tales first. Okay, <laughs> send, send the scene. <laughs> All right. So tales first. Um, first tale is oh, where's my title here? We Don't Do Weddings, The Band's Tale by yeah, Kathy Tires. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So Kathy Tires is a Star Wars author. Um, okay. She wrote, I think it's called The New Republic. Um, and I think it comes out after this book, if I'm not mistaken. But I think she wrote like a one-off. I think she also had a story in Tales from Jabba's Palace that I can't remember. I don't remember exactly that, but I do not doubt it. So, um, so yeah, so The Band's Tale is about the this band, which is that very infamous band playing in Jabba's Palace um, during, or sorry, playing in Hot Wars Weekend, yeah. And they are originally from Jabba's Palace, or were playing at Jabba's Palace when the story Right, starts. I don't think in the movies we have ever seen them in Jabba's Palace. No, but... we do not see them in Jabba's Palace, but they were hired by Jabba. Um, they are approached to play the wedding of uh, Lady Val, who we have seen in Tales from Jabba's Palace, who's this whippet, who is kind of, at this point, I guess this is a few years before that book, so she's sort of making waves in the kind of crime right. underground. She's like a new arrival. 
Yeah, and so she and so she and Jabba kind of have a tenuous relationship, but they're not like full out at war just just sort of yet. Right. Um, and so they they're approached to play this wedding, and they're immediately like, "We don't do it." <laughs> They've got a Beneath catchphrase us, thing going on. Yeah, and so a lot of the story is about like how hard it is for bands to play. <laughs> play weddings, and they're just like asked to play the same songs over and over and over again and they have to like learn new songs for like the first dance and whatever <laughs> like, it's yeah of- they talk about like the ceremony they want you to make the song last a little longer but still in the way they want and right, right everyone gets drunk and no one's really listening to the music and it's just they don't yeah, like it's it. not fun for them no. um and they are so we didn't we i don't think we've ever touched on this but they play i guess what Star Wars calls jazz jizz. Yeah, <laughs> they're they, jizz whalers. They're jizz whalers. They're um, and so woodwind jizz whalers. Person, yeah, jizz whalers from a first person perspective of one of the band members. The story. Yeah. Um, so they go to Lady Valerian's wedding. Um, they get talked into because it because they're going to get paid quite a bit of money. Get a lot of money, and also they don't have to do the ceremony. It's just the reception. Right, right. And, and right. the guy who's and the guy who's the band manager has a seems to have like a gambling problem. Like they he acts like he's a hustler, but I think he just has a gambling problem. And they're gonna let him play Sawbuck there. So Right, right yeah. Uh Figrin? Figran? Yeah, maybe. He shows up in a couple of stories. Um even though we've only read four so far. Yeah, so they're gonna let him gamble. So they're like, Okay, fine, like we'll play we'll play this wedding. Um and so they get there, and they're having a miserable time. Yeah, but it's just sort of as expected. Yeah, sort of what they thought. Um, Lady Valerian is marrying a fellow Whippet, and they're yeah. like sort of curious to like how that ceremony and relationship right. Is go. And apparently, Whippets look sort of horrifying. Yeah, they have like they're like, huge tusks. and they have big tusks. Yeah, we had a Whippet's tail in a in Tales from Jabba's Palace, and there was a picture. They're like sort of big and hairy, and they're like really tall, and they have these like huge tusks. Um, and so they're playing, and a bunch of Jabba's men, or like, you know, hired guys, sort of crash the wedding. Yeah, they're there. Yeah. And they... I don't remember exactly how this goes, but the somebody gives the band a tip that like, hey guys, you have an exclusive contract with Jabba, and he yeah. noticed that you snuck out tonight. You are screwed. Like, you yeah. need to hightail it. And right. so this guy's like, well, we gotta go. And then at the same time, the Whippet, who Lady Valerian just married, gets an offer to, like, bounty hunt for Jabba, essentially. Yeah, basically, yeah. And he's like, oh, she'll totally understand. It'll be right, fine. She's a Whippet. Like, they get it. <laughs> yeah. And, but then she does not understand. And so then they're like, fighting to the death with their whipped tusks right. and the band runs out and then they go start working at the cantina yeah so they like find a place to hide out and they run into the cantina and they get hired and they eventually realize that like well Jabba has like way bigger fish to fry than us like it's, he, it's gonna be a while yeah we'll just keep our heads down right and like hopefully nothing not yeah, I guess the bartender from the cantina was there, and he yeah, said, "Forget the Wookiee, the bartender." No, the, the bar- owner no, is the Wookiee. The owner is the Wookiee. The owner is Chalmud or something Chalmud, like that. Yeah, but I think it was Wooher was the oh, one Wooher, who was okay. there. 
who's yeah. the bartender. And he said, you're great. Come play. Yeah, and so that's kind of it. Yeah. But, yeah. but it was it was amusing. And I liked the, the Whippet Wedding stuff. Yeah, the Whippet Wedding stuff was good. The sort of, like, background about, like, their band and yeah, and also stuff that they played the kind of stuff they played and the stuff the it's a big deal to our narrator that he owns his instrument because right. the other band members don't own their instruments, so they really have to do what the manager who owns the instrument says. And this guy has more rank because he owns his oh, instrument. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so that's that. So next was, this was a biggie, A Hunter's yeah. Fate, Greedo's Tale by yeah, Tom so- Veitch and Martha Veitch. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they've written. She has not done anything, any others. He has written, like, comic books, Star okay. Wars comic books. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so this is actually the, like, the longest tale I think we've ever read. Yeah. Of all of these. It's bordering on being a novella. Yeah, um, and it's it's divided into chapters as well. Like it's it's pretty pretty. You uh, could easily expand it into a novel. I feel yeah, like it's an awkward yeah. fit as a short story. It is. In a lot yeah, of ways. maybe maybe talk about it. But it's basically sort of the history of Greedo, um, and Greedo is uh, raised on this planet that is not uh, like that. His species is not native to because his father um, was sort of like a pretty high up in Rhodia, I guess is, is the name of the planet. Ro- he's a Rhodian. Um, yeah. And he was a bounty hunter. Um, and he was killed in sort of like, I think, a power kind of play by this other sort of like sect of Rhodians. And so his mother and all the sort of like clan that he was a part of escaped to this planet. Um, and so when he's young, they're hiding out there and he doesn't really understand anything about the outside you know, the world. Yeah, the like planet. the adults haven't told the kids anything about space travel, about yeah. anything off this of this like, like jungle planet that home. they live on. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so him and his brother, who I'm not going to try to pronounce that name, <laughs> um, uh, sort of are like adventuring as kids like around the planet and stumble across this, I guess, sort of like hollowed out mountain where they're keeping starships. Um, right. And he goes to his mom and he's like, Mom, what's up with that? <laughs> and she tells him, you know, your father, the story, your father was murdered and, and we're hiding out. And so he sort of takes that in. Um, and then uh, sometime later, the guy who had murdered his father finds them on this planet. Right. Um, the enemy clan. I mean, we don't get that much of how Rodian culture is set up, but obviously right. once your clan has just been blacklisted, all of the Rodians are... Right, I mean, and, act- and actively looking for them too. Oh yeah, they they are they spend time like it is they are out to get you. So they um, manage to escape on one of the starships, and they land on Narshada, Narshada, which like we visit Narshada, home sweet home, <laughs> and Shug is there. <laughs> I was so excited to be back on Narshada. Yeah, even it felt like just home. for a really little did. while. I really did. It felt like a homecoming. I was like, "This is this is where I want to be. This is, yeah, this is such a beautiful place." And so Greedo show he gets to Narshada as a teenager. So he's yeah. going from this very sort of sheltered jungle world. I mean, where you can't do anything wrong socially. It's just you and your clan out in the jungle. Yeah, just having a good time to Narshada, and he seems to pretty quickly fall in with a little bit of a bad crowd. Yeah, which is not, not surprising for Narshada. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's Marshada, and he's not like a hardened psycho or anything. He's just kind no. of a punk. Yeah, and now and now that he knows sort of that his father was a bounty hunter, he's sort of got this like itch to be like, that's what I also want. Right, do. I want to be a great hunter. That's a Rodian thing, is that they're hunters, right, a hunter, and they're yeah. warriors. So he's like, I want, and he's named after his father. So he's like, I want to follow follow in my father's footsteps. Um, and he yeah he falls in with this crowd. His brother is you know trying to tag along, and and he's kind of pushing him aside. Um, he manages to save two bounty. I may be getting this order wrong. He saves. Oh, two I think bounties. first he has the run in with Han, right? With Han, yeah. So he he runs into Han and Chewie. Right. He wants to. He goes. He wants to get a. He wants to get a ship, or he's yeah, trying he to. Want, fix yeah, he, he's like a bounty hunter needs to have a ship, a so ship. I need to fix up a ship. And he and his buddy are trying to fix up a ship, and they go to steal. Some parts oh, for their funny. ship yeah. at Shug's at Shug's Space Barn, and <laughs> they try to steal some parts. But it turns out that they're trying to steal the parts from Han, right? And they, you know, Chewie they take the parts off the Falcon, and Chewie busts them, and Han just, you know, teach him a lesson kind of thing. Just like kind of humiliates him, takes Grudo's jacket, which Grudo was really proud of. Yeah, his like rancor, jacket. his rancor cool. skin jacket, yeah, yeah, rancor cool leather jacket. jacket. Yeah. And Han doesn't even want it. He's just like, this is not my style. Like, do you want yeah. this? But just to make a point. And so Grudo hates Han so much. Yeah, yeah he really has a thing about Han. Um, so yeah, that happens. He he runs into these two uh, bounty hunters. Yeah, they're bounty lines. hunters. They're bounty yeah. hunters, and he saves them from Gorm, which is the, yeah. the, the greatest name. <laughs> Gorm, who is this, like, cyborg? Giant? Maybe. Yeah, they're, like, unsure. They're like, is that a person or a robot? And they're like, your guess is fine. <laughs> Irrelevant to us, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they, yeah, they, um, man- he manages to save these two guys, and they sort of team up with him. Yeah, they don't really want to, but he is able to tell them where there's been this sort of center of rebellion activity yeah. because he knows that the Empire will pay for that information. So they kind of cut him in for that. Right. And unfortunately, when the Empire goes storming in, they cast a wider net than Greedo yeah. anticipated and they burn down the whole section, including... The place where his mother and his brother yeah. live. So all of, I think, basically all of the Rodians except for him, his clan, are now gone. Yeah. Basically. Um, yeah. And yeah. although Greedo doesn't seem to really realize that, the two bounty hunters kind of steer him away from the scene before he right, can right, right. know that they're, they're like, oh, don't worry about it. Your family will be fine. And also, why don't you come be a bounty hunter with us? And he's just yeah, like, yeah. well, okay. So he's got yeah. some sort of internal deniability there. Yeah, he's not, like, super upset about it. Yeah, um, I don't think he realizes. I mean, he's not super bright. Yeah, he's not the brightest bulb in the box. But, yeah, so they, they all sort of join forces. He manages to get a ship? I think he's or just with them. I think he's, he's with them. They have a ship, but they get yeah. a ship. And they, um, they also kind of swindle him out of his money because his share of the bounty is, is, is like, 20,000 credits or something like that. Right. They're like, okay, we could give you this, or... We could right. keep it, and that'll be you paying us for training you to be a bounty hunter. Right, right, and, yeah, like, like and he goes for that. Yeah. So, um, so Jabba's sort of in the background of all of this, just because it's Narshada, and um, and they eventually end up on Tatooine. Um, yeah. 
hired by Jabba, just sort of like to get Han or to get, to get Han. Han to pay. And Greedo runs into Han, and Han totally just playing it off, scamming him. Right, like I'll like oh. I'm so excited that you're going to get me to Java. Like, come back first thing tomorrow morning, and I'll go with you. It'll be yeah, great. Yeah. I have the money and everything. Right. And, and he's just like, well, we got to get out of here tonight, because yeah. <laughs> yeah, done. <laughs> yeah. So then he's, Grudo's in the cantina, and he sees the two guys who he's bounty hunting with talking to some Rodians. Right. And he has a moment where he's like, oh, crap. Mm-hmm. Are, are those Rodians after me? But then they kind of give him a nod, and he's immediately just like, oh, great. Like, I'm a bounty hunter, too. We're all hunters. There's no right, worry like about these big family. <laughs> clan things. And then he has this crazy vision of his mother and his brother, um, yeah. which actually marks that page, because yeah, I thought it yeah. was crazy. Um, so, let's see. Um, so he's about to go confront Han, which as in the cantina, which as we know is his last. His, right. his number's almost up. Um, Greedo felt a mixture of fear and excitement. He closed his eyes and gathered his energies. Suddenly, his mind filled with a bright image of a jungle world, dripping neon, dripping green neon leaves, a gathering of little huts, and busy half-naked green bodies. He saw himself and his brother running under the tall tendril trees, running toward the village. He saw his mother standing in the clearing, waiting for them. He saw himself and his brother run to her, and she held out her arms and hugged them both. Then he was inside the vision, looking up into her her huge eyes. She was crying. What's the matter, mother? Why are you sad? I'm sad and I'm happy, Greedo. I'm sad because of what must happen. I'm happy because you are coming home. And, yeah. And then he he goes and gets killed by Han. Yeah, and then the last little scene of the story is... uh, the, you realize the two bounty hunters are actually working for the man who killed his father. Um, you know, just making sure that every Rodian of that clan gets decimated. He's killed. And so uh, rather than kill him themselves, they just teed him up to get Han to yeah, kill him. and they kind of feel, they feel bad. They're like, I'm glad we didn't, you know, as bad as they can feel. They're like, I'm, you know, it's a good, they would have felt worse doing it themselves, you know. They're yeah, like, they don't feel great about it, but they're yeah, just yeah, right, getting but paid. Yeah, hunters and, um, yeah, That's so the, the sad life of Greedo. Yeah, it was a really big bummer. <laughs> yeah, and so then next is Hammertong, the tale of the T- Tanaka sisters. Yeah, Tanaka sisters. So those are the twins that you see in the cantina, kind of like looking around. Yeah, you got like seductive faces. And yeah, and like Jeff matching hair. like Cleopatra wigs. Yeah, and this was written by Timothy Zahn, which is interesting. I, I mean, in the middle of. Uh, Thrawn. It's interesting yeah. to get this kind of story because I think it's a little bit different than Thrawn. It's definitely doing. different than Thrawn, but I didn't real remember it was him. I was reading kind of quickly. I didn't remember it was him while I was reading it, and then after I read it, I saw that it was him, and I was like, "Oh, that makes sense." Okay, yeah, the sort of like yeah, pacing of it, I feel like felt a lot like him. Um, so this is about these. So it's a misnomer because they are actually pretending to be these twins. Um, these two characters, Shada and Carolee? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Okay. Um, Shonda and they and are, oh, this keeps falling right out of my head. Mysteries? Mistral? Mistrals, yeah, Mistrals. Um, and Mistrals are basically like these ancient, like an ancient race, sort of hire, like a women that you would hire for security. 
Well, not originally. Originally, the Mistrals were this sort of, like, proud race of warriors that protected their home planet and their people. Yeah, like Amazon Um, women. I was thinking like like Amazon Amazon women or, like, the, uh, I can't remember what what they're called, but the the really badass women in um, Black Panther that are the king's guard. Yeah, 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 so so kind of like that, really really principled and badass and secretive, but also, but now it turns out, They've right. fallen on hard times, and they're basically yeah. just mercenaries. Right. They're, like, yeah, selling themselves out for hire. Um, and they're hired, these a bunch of them. So they work in, like, groups, like, groups of a couple women. Um, and the ones we're following in particular are hired uh, to sort of protect these research scientists. Yeah, like, there's the scientists are supposed to be transferring the hammer tong right. from Which is one location the laser to another. Beam of the Death Star. Like, part I, of it. Part of it, yeah. what I can understand. Um, and they're, like, they're very against the, um, this group is very against working with the Empire. Um, but the scientists sort of reassure them that, like, you know, we were hired by the Empire, we're, like, not really on we're board girls, yeah. with what's going on. Um, and so they're working for them, and they get attacked by stormtroopers. Yeah, I was hazy on why the stormtroopers attacked them. I was hazy too, and I went back and read a little bit. I think the research scientists were trying to steal the weapon, even though they had been working for the Empire. I think they sort of realized like what was going down with this. Okay, so they sort of mis they sort of misled the Mistrals about what the point of the mission. Yeah, it sort of that's what it sort of seemed to me. Um, So the Imperials. Uh, stormtroopers attack on speeder bikes. They're on some like other planet, not not Tatooine. Um, Took me a very long time to figure that out. Yeah, yeah, I know. Me too. <laughs> I had to go back and be like, wait a second, because they like crash on Tatooine at some point. Um, so they get attacked. Um, the research scientists, I assume, are die Kill. in this attack. Um, and so the mysteries uh take the hammer tong and get off planet. Yeah. Yeah, Shonda is really mad about getting attacked by the Imperials. Yes. A couple of the Mistrals are killed, and so she says, you know, we're going to make them pay. So yeah. she jumps in and attacks and steals the hammer tongue. They still don't know what it is. Right, they don't but, really know what it does. Yeah, But they say, we can dismantle it and sell it and make money right. or something. Somewhere. Just yeah. get out of so here, they, whatever they we're They find, doing. like, the closest dive planet they can find, and it's Tatooine. Tatooine. And so they crash land on Tatooine. Um, so that's how you get there. Yes, it's basically the only way to get there. <laughs> um, and they're like looking at the hammer tong, and like it turns out it's like not as complicated a machine as they thought yeah. it was. Um, and so they go. Um, oh, how do they find this out? They eventually find out that it is a weapon, right? That dude in j- at jail tells them. Uh. So why are they going? <laughs> they go to Mos Eisley to try to hire. Um, they go to the cantina to try to hire somebody to freed it, though, right? Right. Okay. Because they want to be somewhere. Else. I mean, they want to hide it. They want right, to hide right. it somewhere okay. where they can sell it or dismantle it or something. Right. They're worried that they're still being pursued by so they, Imperials. Right. So they decide to disguise themselves as these really infamous twin sisters, the Tanakas, um, in order to sort of blend in and not be, like, stick right. out. 
Right, um, like the Tanakas have not been seen in a while, so they figure it's safe to use right, their safe, identities. It's safe to be them. Um, and, and so they're and, in the in the cantina, like, basically using a scanner to, like, read people's identities and see, like, which ones are the best to, like, ask for. Yeah, <laughs> which seems like if those scanners exist, that the stormtroopers might have them. But Yeah, yeah but, you know, you know, whatever. Um, Whatever, and so, like, fine. when you see them, I thought it was interesting, when you see them in A New Hope, they're kind of, like, creepily looking around, and, like, that sort of explains why. They're just sort of, like, yeah. scanning, like, trying to figure out who um, would be useful. They eventually land on Han, and it's like, that is the dude. <laughs> That's, that guy will work. Yeah, that'll work. Like, initially, they think they're gonna ask the guys who get in the fight with Luke and Obi-Wan, but right, then... But- and they're like, oh, Obi-Wan no. cuts off the arm, and they're like, well, what about him? And they say, yeah, Jedi Knight, probably not going to work right, out for us. Um, but yeah, they get to Han, and then um, somebody recognizes them? Well, rec- yeah, but not who they really right. are. Right. They, they, Somebody knows that the Tanaka sisters are, like, around and has seen them somewhere else and realizes, like, these two are not. Well, apparently the Tanaka sisters, that comes later. First, they get arrested as the Tanaka sisters. Right, sorry. The reason the Tanaka sisters have not been seen for a while is they stole a ton of money from a grand moth. So, some Imperial sees, or someone sees them and says, like, there's a bounty on the Tanaka sisters. sisters, Right, they get thrown in jail. Right, but the guy who's guarding the jail knows knows immediately that they're not the Tanaka sisters. And they right. could deal with him for him to break them out. Yeah. And so he breaks them out. Somebody, is it him who is the Imperial, or I'm sorry, Rebel Sympathizer? Yeah, he's like a rebel guy. And yeah, so, so he's a rebel. Um, and they bring him to the Hammer Tong and he realizes like what this is that is part of the Death Star. Um, and it's like, we have to get this. Yeah, he says, he sort of tries to pull a gun on them and says, you know, I'm really sorry, but I have to have this. I have to. Right, I need to take it. I need to take it to my my people so we can fight the Empire. Um, But then some more mistrels showed up and they they get the hammer tongue back from him. But Shonda doesn't want to kill him or anything, so they just put him on a bike and send him on his way. Send him away. And and at the end, she's sort of thinking, like, you know, maybe... We need to rethink this mercenary thing and devote ourselves to, like, a bigger cause. And, yeah, like, maybe we should be rebels. Stuff's about to go down. Maybe Shonda will be a rebel. Yeah, maybe Shonda will be a rebel. Um, and then our last tale is an oh AC Crispin, and it's so heartbreaking. <laughs> oh, it was beautiful. Uh, it's uh, the tale of uh, Muff Talk and Cobb, Cabe. Yeah. Um, played again, Figrin. Dan, which is the bit, uh, yeah, the tale the of both talking. So it's got like in the title a reference to Casablanca, and yes. there are not super overt, but there are some little references to like Casablanca, yeah. especially at the end. Yes, oh, yeah. <laughs> so sweet. Yeah. Um, so these two characters, the Muff Talk, is that like furry white alien that has four eyes and like sort of like a moth tongue that comes out, like. Sort of like yeah. a bug, bug bear kind of creature looking. Right. Um, and Cabe is that little mouse creature who, like, grabs a drink from... From, like, can barely the- reach the bar, but is reaching up for the drink. Yeah. Um, and so these, so apparently these two are best friends. 
Yeah, best friend slash parent child. Yeah, so. like it's it's yeah, their relationship is uh sort of interesting. So, so they so we find that uh very early on in the story that Muftak has sort of adopted Cabe. Um, right. He found her on the streets, just like alone. She was orphaned. He was also an orphan, um, so he takes pity on her um, and takes her in. Muftak at the beginning of the story does not know where he came from. Yeah, he, he doesn't know like, what species he is. He doesn't know what species he is. He doesn't know what planet he's from. He was just like a cocoon that was then a thing. <laughs> like, just yeah, like, he just emerged from a cocoon on Tatooine. <laughs> on Tatooine, there's nobody else like him on Tatooine. Right. Uh, he yeah, has he these... not from Tatooine, but he doesn't know much. And about. he speaks his native language. He has memories of what must be his home planet. Yeah, like they call it like instinctual, like you know, memories of his place. But he doesn't really know where he's from. Um, right. So they are basically thieves. Yeah. Petty, petty thieves. Yeah. Thieves. Um, yeah. Cave is more into thieving. Yeah. Muftak is more of like an information broker, but they're. Yeah. Um, certainly underworld figures. Yeah. Um, and at the start of the story, um, they go to the cantina pretty early on, right? Well, initially, they're just walking home one night, and a stormtrooper calls out to Muftok, and is like, Tals, stop there. And that's how Muftok's like, Oh my gosh, I must be a Tals. Tals, right. That's That's the name of my species. I'm a Tals. And they ask about the droids. Do you, you know, where are these droids? Right. And he doesn't know, but he says he can find out. And he recognizes the guy who's in charge of the stormtroopers as this Imperial officer who was responsible for decimating the home planet of the Hammerhead, who will see later. And so Tall's manipulates things so that the Imperials think the Hammerhead knows where the droids are because right. the Hammerhead that's what he wants. They're buddies. They right, they're right, pretty right. good they're pretty solid bros. So I guess the Hammerhead wants his shot at vengeance and so right. Muftok is setting him up that. for that. And Cabe is I mean, Muftok thinks of her as a child. I don't know if she's actually a child. Yeah, she really likes drinking for a child. Yeah, he calls her, like, little one, and she's tiny. Like, she's yeah. like, a tiny But creature, he also, but, yeah, like, refers to she's... her as a child. But that could also just mean, like, that she's still young. Yeah. Um, I think she's supposed to be... I think she, if if we were going to translate her into human terms, she's probably, like, 17 or something yeah, like, like that. Yeah, like, a young, yeah. young adult. Um, yeah, and she's super into thieving. And really. she's apparently pretty good at it. And she's been wanting to rob Jabba's t- townhouse for a long right. time. Yeah, like She really wants to break into Jabba's t- townhouse. She wants to rob Jabba's t- townhouse. And Muftok has the thought that he really wants to find his way back to his home planet. Right. He, they don't have enough money for that right now. He's worried about Cabe because he feels like, you know, she's just purely selfish. She never thinks of anyone other than right. herself. But... He kind of figures, I guess, that if they did this Jabba's townhouse job successfully, he would be able to buy passage to his home planet, and she would have enough money to take care of herself. Right, yeah. He's however like, she he, wanted to. He, you know, has obviously a fondness for her, and he helped raise her, but he, at the early on in the story, doesn't really think he wants her to tag along right. to his home. 
Or me, or even like that she wouldn't want to. That you know, she's right, just... right. That she just is out for herself. Um, and so they go to the cantina, um, with the thought to sort of pickpocket because they've done that before, where they've just kind of gone. Right. Out. I mean, that's her thing. She wants to pickpocket, and he wants to talk to the hammerhead. And that's when they that's right, when they right, sort right. out various other stuff. And so yeah. then after the cantina, he says. Like, okay, let's go rob Jabba's townhouse. Right, yeah, let's do it. And she's so excited. Yeah. And, and they sneak in. <laughs> they sneak in, and there's, they're initially confronted by a droid, yeah. and they the droid's sort of going after them and is going to call Bib Fortuna, but Cave jumps on the droid and takes off the restraining bolt. Restraining and bolt, when they yeah. remove the restraining bolt, the droid's like, oh, thank God. Like, I hate, I actually hate Jabba. I do not want to work for him. Yeah, there's some interesting droid stuff in these stories that yeah that sort of comes up. Yeah, um, yes, yeah, so they sort of make friends with this droid. Um, yeah, and the droid's gonna show him where all the expensive stuff. And he tells him like, "We got like Corellian art, like up in this And on the way, they find the guy who's been being tortured by Jabba yeah. for a few days, and they go in because Cabe wants to steal the device that he's being tortured with. Right. And when they're in there, uh, he is very appreciative of the torture stopping and explains to them, you know, if you take this thing that I have hidden in my mouth and you give it to the calamari in the bar and tell them, you know, yeah, tell them Steve sent you, (laughs) (laughs) then uh, you'll get 30,000 credits. Right. And... So they say, great, we'll we'll do that. Yeah, definitely. On board. And then they keep going, but then they are confronted by the guards. Right. They get they get caught and they're pinned down, they're taking blaster fire. Right. And there's a little door behind them that they can't get open. Eventually it opens, it's small, the room is tight, there's fire spreading, and so Muftok tells Cave, like Okay, take the treasure and run. I'm right behind, behind you. Behind you, yeah, but he's not. Yeah. Right. Go, I'm right behind you. So she gets outside and she's waiting for him, but he doesn't come. And so she drops the treasure and goes back yeah, for yeah. him. I get him. And between her and the droid, they get right. back out, but the treasures are gone. And he is completely surprised that right. she came back for him. And she's... Doesn't she doesn't understand that he didn't think that he, that they had that connection? Right. Yeah. Like for her, it's like, just unspoken. She's like, "Of yeah. course, I had to come back, you big dummy. You were about to die. Like, yeah, how did you not notice really that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're partners. Yeah, super sweet. Yeah. 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 So, but they still have that device from the guy. They get their thirty thousand credits to get passage. They get they get fifteen thousand credits. And letters of transit signed by right. Grand Moff Tarkin right, that will get, get them off of the planet. Yeah. Aww. And then at the end, he's just kind of got to like snuggled up in his in his fur. Yeah, and they're just traveling together and traveling to go see his home planet and see yeah. what comes comes next. Exactly. Yeah, that was a great story. <laughs> it was beautiful and. As always, AC Crispin manages to establish these really sort of deep, emotionally complex yeah. characters and relationships very quickly. Very quickly, yeah. Yeah. Because that was maybe the shortest of the stories. 
But it was the best one the by best a one. mile. Yeah, yeah. By a by mile. Far. It was so good. Yeah. I mean, the stuff they talk about with Muftak that he just just found Cave on the street. I mean, on the verge of death, she talks yeah. about how she was like crazed with thirst and so hungry and tiny and weak. She could barely walk. She couldn't run. She was just yeah. like collapsing. And Muftak just, and she was like a child. And Muftak just scooped her up in his right, arms took her in, yeah. and took her home and raised her from yeah, there. Kept her safe. and Yeah. And he, anytime someone confronts them, he always like automatically hides her behind him. And yeah. They were really sweet, kind of, and she's like yeah. a pain in the butt, but he just loves right, her. Right, right. Sort of is like, you know, I don't know if it's worth keeping her around, but like you can tell he really loves her. Yeah, <laughs> and like he just he did not think that she loved him, right? Too, yeah. And the when he that confirmation that she does, yeah, it's, it's like, like a really sweet moment. Yeah, together forever now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and they got letters of transit. Yeah. Yeah, that was a heartwarming story. That one was good, great. A good way to end this set, I think. Yeah, that makes sure. me that makes me excited to keep going. Yeah. Um definitely. in a way that the first three did not necessarily. Yeah. Um, I, I there was some good stuff in there. It was definitely a different uh tone. Yeah. Than Tales from Jabba's Palace and a different pacing, which makes me wonder if they sort of like perfected it. In the I definitely feel like Tales from Jabba's Palace, just going from these first th- few, these first four, I feel like Tales from Jabba's Palace was better. Yeah. So yeah. So far. Yeah. Yeah. So far, it was better. So why? I guess is the um, question. Yeah, that's a great question. I think the. Um, not that these stories aren't somewhat interconnected, but I think Jabba's Palace immediately in, like, the first two stories establishes, like, these are stories all happening in the same place. They are deeply tied together, even though we're looking at very different characters and very different backgrounds. Um, the sort of overlap of incidences. Um, the also, I think... It's easier to sort of, or maybe not easier, but I think Tales of Jazz Piles does a better job of situating those stories around a singular event, which is the distra- like basically the fall of Jabba, right? Right. This, these sets of stories are like tangentially connected to the cantina, but like most of them don't take place. Like, like they right, have scenes they in the cantina, of, but they like, pass through the cantina, right? Like. You know, because, and it makes sense that, like, what the heck is, you know, Luke hiring, you know, Luke and Obi-Wan hiring Han to anybody else in that cantina at that moment? Right. Basically nothing. So, like, the the sort of, like, crux of that is not as, like, it's not as good of a foundation, I don't think. Yeah, it definitely feels a lot... It feels a lot, much more loosely organized because, yeah, who's going to be in the cantina is random and it's not as inherently interesting to be in a cantina as it is sort of inherently interesting to be in Jabba's Palace. Yeah. Like in Jabba's Palace, it's like, oh my gosh, like what brought you there? Whereas in the cantina, it's like, I was thirsty and, you know, there might not be anything that great. Yeah. Which makes me wonder why. And then I had to like double check it. That it is Cantina, and it is Tales from Mos Eisley Cantina. Like, why isn't it just Tales from Mos Eisley Spaceport? Yeah. Because I think that would make more sense. 
than the cantina. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's, I think that they should have made it Tales from Moss Eisley Spaceport. That would have, anything, felt like a more accurate title. Yeah. But I think they felt like they needed to make it the cantina because they were staying really tied to, like, what you see in the movies. Right. Like, right. every story is about someone that you, Your like, it's like a shot. Like, someone yeah. who gets an establishing shot in the cantina. Right. I guess um, maybe it's like a false reliance, or, like, too ma- putting too much reliance on that very short, because, like, it is a very memorable movie, like, obviously, an incredibly yeah. memorable scene in that film you know, that gets parodied and taken up over and over and over again. But, like, unlike Jabba's Palace, where we actually spend, like, a good, I don't know, half hour of that It's a lot, there, yeah. And, like, we sort of have an understanding of what's going on in Jabba's Palace. Like, you know, not specifically, but, like, we know what that place is. For the audience, like, I don't know that Mazda Cantina really means anything other than, like, look at, like, these cool aliens. Yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on here and i kept thinking about the star wars holiday special (laughs) like i want to hear about those guys so if you haven't seen the star wars holiday (laughs) special first of all don't but (laughs) it's it's not fun it's not even it's not bad in the fun way it's it's not nonsense (laughs) it's not like oh but at least i get to see my favorite star wars characters you don't want to see them like this you don't don't want to see them like this mark hamill has like minimum three inches of makeup on his face yeah harrison ford is maybe asleep maybe performing at gunpoint he definitely does not want to be he's got the face of a man who is chained to a radiator being forced (laughs) to read lines (laughs) and carrie fisher i mean god bless her she was not in a happy time in her life then i don't think you can there her she has vacant eyes she's literally holding on to furniture to keep herself yeah it's it's not fun it is not a fun and like there is some weird weird stuff <laughs> right and i mean and they're barely in it anyway it's right. mostly like older comedians doing bits like um, our car and be there and that guy the uh, guy from uh, the cal burnett show yeah who was in oh blazing saddles yeah um, look it up real quick he's but, in yeah. it like four times but anyway you get a there is one segment there that's in Monsai's Cantina. Harvey Corman, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um there's one segment in there that's from Monsai's Cantina where B. Arthur is the bartender of Monsai's Cantina. And she sings a really long song about like how long. the can- it's like a really long song about how the cantina's closing and everyone needs to leave and they, yeah, they're, they're all just leaving. ignoring her. <laughs> It's really so weird. It's yeah, and Harvey Corman plays like a patron who whose head is like a volcano. It sounds like this was a fever dream that we both had. (laughs) It's real, and also everything we're saying about it makes it sound so much more amusing than it is. Than it is, yeah. It's really like I mean that scene maybe is the best, and it's really not. I think (laughs) well that scene does make sense in a way to minimally. And characters are speaking words primarily. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the other thing. The holiday special is mostly about Chewbacca's family, and they are just unsubtitled Wookiee growling at each other. Yeah. Also, Wookiee costumes that you don't spend money on. Yeah. They're mostly, like, watching TV. Like, we're watching them watch television. (laughs) Yeah, it's... 
Yeah. yeah. But so anyway, anyway that, anytime yeah. someone mentions the cantina, I always ask, like, was B. Arthur there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is what I think of as B. Arthur. Um, yeah, that would be interesting if they added those characters. <laughs> I would love for them to be like, B. Arthur's Tale. <laughs> the Tale of B. Arthur. <laughs> and then there's Maud. B. Arthur's Tale. Yeah, tale, yeah. Oh my god, we should do that. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that there's like a, a like a disconnect between these short stories and the sort of theme of the series. Yeah, like, there's just more, there's more drama and connection inherent to Jabba's palace right. than there is to Mos Eisley Cantina. Like, if you were going to do a short story collection about people in the background scene of, like, a high school, it would be one thing if you did, like, Tales from the... Tales from the production of The Sound of Music or whatever right, musical right, right. the high school is doing. Because there's some inherent drama to that. These people right. are and necessarily thrown together. There's connections. Yeah. People are going to each other's houses. There's rides. They're building sets. Like, they're all working together right. on something. But if you just did, like, Tales from Classroom 107, you know, right. like, right. It'd be much there's different people in first period than there are in third period. Right. Like, you know, people don't necessarily even know each other. Like, yeah. I mean, people yeah, move in I mean. and out of the room. Like, no one's life is necessarily revolving around, you know, whatever they're teaching in that yeah. room. Yeah. And I wonder, too, I was trying to figure this out. Like, if there's a cohesive thread here. But what was so great about... This is just like a love letter. <laughs> but what was so great about Tales from Java's Palace was, like... Every story felt like the end, right? Like there was a right. sense of like a culmination of something that was pretty much terrible finally ending. And like how all of these mostly, you know, not entirely, but criminals and smugglers and terrible people who are in Jabba's palace are dealing with this great event, right? This sort of like fallout. Yeah, like with what do this, you do when you find yourself in Rome and the walls are coming down? Right, and like, you're seeing it happen, you know, or you're blind to it happening, right? This sort of like, yeah. like we talked about when we talked about it being sort of like a Western, right? That like sense of impending doom is sort of coming and you can't stop it. With yeah. these, I notice a little bit of a thread of like anticipation of something happening, right? This sort of like rebellion. Whispers of Rebellion, the Empire, you know, there's a lot of, like, you know, S-talk in the Empire, right? The, like, but, like, nothing, like, it doesn't have that same momentum because it's not quite as impending, right? Because, like, Jabba's right. Palace and the Battle of Endor are, like, three years off, at least. Yeah. Um, that, like, we're not quite there yet. So it's this, even though it's, like, a pivotal moment for our, our like, three names, right? For the rest of the galaxy, like... Right. I mean, it's, it's not sort of, really. Yeah, it's like Moss Eisley and the Cantina, by extension, are like a transient space. Right. right. But, but it's not a climactic space. Right. Right. And they're like tangentially, you know, there's Imperial Stormtroopers there and Java's out in the desert. But like, you know, it is a sort of, you know, whereas Java's palace was such a confined space of like, horror and misery yeah this is like a little bit too spread out for what yeah and it's not it doesn't seem like it's all bad you know java's palace is sort of it's the same conditions for everyone and everyone's suffering in there 
where's Mall Slice and Cantina? I mean, maybe it sucks. Maybe you have a nice, maybe you have a good room in a hotel. Maybe you're working for Lady Blair. Like, right. it seems like there's money to be made and opportunities to be had. Right. It's not doom and gloom all the time. No, which I don't necessarily need doom and gloom, but there's not, there's not inherent conflict. There's not, right. yeah. there's not immediately obvious risk. I mean, the stuff yeah. with the Bith, the Biths playing the wedding was, I mean, it was amusing, but there wasn't much. Right. Like, well, yeah. It wasn't on the edge of my seat. Yeah. Like, you think about, like, how many people died at the end of Jabba's Palace chapters or were, like, mutilated. Or yeah. <laughs> and, like, the only, I mean, Greedo, and we knew Greedo was going to die. And that was right. the only one that sort of ended, like, sad, you know, with somebody perished. But I, I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like at the end of that that I got any meaningful new information about yeah. Grudo. Like, yeah. he's kind of a dummy. He's kind of a scumbag. Right. But he's not actually a very threatening kind of guy. Yeah, which is, like, exactly what that scene in New Hope, like, that tells you everything, right? Yeah. Like, it's all right there. I don't need a 40-page short story. God, I do not need a 40-page. And, I mean, that segment that I read, I found to yeah. be... They were definitely beautifully parts. written, and there were parts of it that really worked, but I don't think that it worked in that format. I think it needed to either be a lot tighter, yeah. or or like a, a lot more expanded story, maybe like where you get, you know, it's him in the cantina about to confront Han, and you know, you get sort of like flashbacks of his history, and maybe not in quite so much detail. <laughs> yeah, it was a little. It's tough. It was, I wouldn't, I wouldn't throw the whole thing out, but. No, yeah, but there were some, a little tedious at points. Yeah, it was a little tedious. And I found the Tanaka sister story quite tedious. Yeah. Which is why I was like, oh, this makes sense. Because as I was reading it, I was just sort of thinking, you know, if you made a list of the characteristics of this story, I should be on board. We've got, like, women warriors and disguises and, you know jail and jailbreaks and all kinds of good stuff and it just felt very dry and yeah it's something kind of wrote what he was doing like yeah with it and then once i figured out i was like oh like you know this is a story that i like you said like i should be on board for but it was pretty boring yeah it was pretty dull and they were all i want the tanaka sister (laughs) yeah yeah what about them what about the actual Tanaka sisters really who seem to be kind of famous and stole tens of thousands of credits from a grand moth? Yeah. How did they do that? A bit of a cheat. <laughs> Where are the Tanaka sisters now? Yeah. Like, I, you know, I would like to know what they're up to. Yeah. Sure. I'm not so sure about these mistrels, but, uh... Yeah, but, you know, those scientists are seeing real interesting. Yeah, they've got a thing, they've got a real, a look that they've really cultivated. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk to them. Get their feelings. <laughs> hear, their, hear their side of this. Okay. Also, I guess, I mean, it makes sense, but part of what I really liked in Tales from Java's Palace, we love you so much, Tales from Java's Palace. Yeah. Notice that. Come <laughs> but back to us. Come back to us. Uh, part of what I really liked was how sort of incidental the char- our ca- main characters showing up were. Yeah, that right, it was just sort of like... It wasn't a big deal to most people. Some right. people didn't even notice it. 
you know, people didn't have the immediate read of it. And here I have now, in four stories, read two pretty detailed accounts of the conflict between where Obi-Wan ends up chopping off an arm. And I bet there's more coming because that moment is so, um, like, necessarily eye-catching for being in the cantina. You're right, because Tales of Jazz Pals, like, revisited similar scenes over and over again but because the characters had such a different take on what was going on it didn't feel repetitive and because the scenes in Jabba's Palace go on for quite a while in the movies it's not like we're constantly repeating the exact same moments over and over again right that like you have yeah. the sail barge you have Luke coming in you have Leia coming right like you have a bunch of different moments so you can kind of pick and choose but the cantina it's really like Greedo the arm yeah. That's it, right? Yeah. Because they're talking by themselves in a the corner. So, like, there's not too much meat on those bones. Like, no. And uh, the bartender saying that they don't serve droids. I've also right. had that put out to right. me a few it. times. So, yeah. all of our characters' sort of big moments in the cantina are big moments for everyone for in everyone, the cantina. Yeah. Right. Which is feels like it's going to make it a little bit... Yeah. But this one, what was that? Was that in? I think that was in Champions of the Force. <laughs> Where is it? Wedge and Quizooks? Yeah, Wedge and Quizooks go to the hotel. Ithor, it goes, yeah. Which are the Hammerheads. And the guy yeah. like, I was there. Yep, I, I was, was there, there that day. day. Which we haven't so gotten to that story, which I, I guess assume. in the next tale, we'll get to well, find out but, what he was doing. Right, but that's sort of how it felt. Like, all those characters are going to, like, a couple years from now, be like, hey, guess what? Like, yeah. I was there that day. Whereas, like, in Jabba's Palace, like, their stories are going to be about them. That, uh, maybe that's the crux of it. It's like, in Jabba's Palace, those stories are about those characters, right? They are from those characters' perspectives, even though they touch on sort of larger things that are happening in the expanded universe, right? It is from their sort of smaller perspective of the world. Um, Whereas these, I felt like they're, it was, I could feel the sort of trying to connect it to a much larger universe. And, like, how do these characters, like, project out rather than sort of, like, looking in on those characters? Yeah, I think project out is the exact right way to put it because I felt very much like the character's gaze was being, like, forcibly directed to the the who, you know, like, quote-unquote matters more in that scene. Whereas I really liked the way that in Jabba's Palace, the characters were all completely focused on their own stories. And unless something with the main characters from the movies played into their story in some kind of direct way, they just had nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it, yeah. Yeah, I think that's, you know, one of the reasons we loved those stories so much is because they were so new, right? It was like nothing we had seen. And this doesn't feel quite new yet. No! I mean... Except for the, I feel like the A.C. Crispin. <laughs> the A.C. Crispin story. Which could have been in Jabba's Palace, uh, Tales from Jabba's Palace. Like, I feel it like that have. story fit in really well with the style of those. Sure. Right, no, it, it totally could have. And, it, I mean, they sort of, by necessity, do go to the cantina. Right. And we see Cabe drinking that jury juice that she right, loves yeah. so much. Um, but... The most of the action, most of the story, is in Jabba's townhouse. Is right in that street. kind of thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, it sort of stays kind of away from it, and treats I think more so than the other stories. Treats the cantina as just like 
a bar that they frequent. Like, yeah. You know, whereas, like, the, the, uh, Shada and Kara, Carly, is her name? Carly? Um, or, like, they seek out the cantina because, like, that's where the Tonaga sisters would hang out, right? That it's right. Like, kind of a thing. And the Biths, too, right? Like, it's just so iconic. Um, yeah. The Bith vampire and the cantina. Um, Greedo's scenes are so iconic, right? You I feel like, like- I feel like Greedo's too big a character to get a tail. Yeah, but then I think about Bib Fortuna, and he's probably about as big a character, and his story is so much better than <laughs> I mean, maybe it, it comes down to, is Bib Fortuna, but Bib Fortuna's not named in the movie. Maybe you, maybe you get a name. That's, that's true. I guess maybe you get a name. Yeah, he, I mean, it definitely feels like his story was too big. For this. Yeah, Greedo's story I felt like was too big. And there's too and, much in that story and in the Mistral story. Like, there was too much background. Like, yeah. Yeah, and like, I don't mind, like, because there were some Tales from Jazz Pals that did like flashbacks, and like, I'm thinking of Boba Fett and the Sarlacc Pit, right? This sort of like. Right. But like, it was done in a way that like most of the action and the story was taking place in the space you would expect it. Too. Right. It was just while he was in the Sarlacc pit, he had occasion to reflect right. on. Whereas, like, Greedo, most of that story was, I mean, I love Narshada. Let's go back. Let's visit again. But, like, yeah. most of it was on his, like, his planet he was raised on, Narshada. Like, it, it was not focused on the cantina. Also. Or Mos Eisley at all. I feel like Han comes off very, very poorly in that great oh, yeah, story <laughs> where they're just like, oh, yeah, it'll be effortless to manipulate this guy into murdering a dummy. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah this needs to just murder Green. <laughs> yeah, I'm just using it. Yeah, he does. Han just comes off sort of petty and mean and in yeah. a way that... Also, <laughs> that story, <laughs> like, I really wanted... A funny or like insightful who shot first like at least addressing the sort of like at this point was it a thing i guess maybe it wasn't a thing at this point i think maybe at this point there was no question when did this come out this is let me see oh that's so funny so that's like immediately yeah. what i thought oh 95 yeah this yeah, is 1995 so, so at this point there was only one Right, he did shoot one her. vision of those lasers zipping around. Yeah, there's a real reworking of Greedo's because, like, confused by something else, like googling Greedo, and his canon story is like completely different because there's a deleted scene in episode one where he's like a child hanging out with him. <laughs> Wait, is that Greedo? Because yeah, I knew there Greedo. was, I knew there was a Rodian, but I didn't know if it was Greedo. Yeah. A, red, a Rodian who, I guess now that I'm thinking of it, does dress exactly like Greedo. That's yeah, always like a Greedo. hilarious thing in cartoon or children's like, things. Like, a character wears the same outfit their whole lives. <laughs> they just keep buying it in bigger sizes. Yes. <laughs> like a cartoon character. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because yeah, I googled a picture of Greedo and it was like a baby Greedo. And I was like, oh, that's different than yeah. how this is happening. <laughs> yeah. Also, this book seems to have been wiped off the face of <laughs> at least Wikipedia, because when I Googled and I was looking at, like, what books Greedo appears in, this one didn't even show up. What? On the list. It seems like that's this outrageous. one... This one didn't really get taken up. <laughs> taken no, up. they're just like, that's not gonna work for us. Yeah, no. no. 
not gonna. I wonder what they did with Greedo instead. This is, I mean, this Greedo is pathetic. This Greedo is really sad. Yeah, very pathetic. Yeah, I mean, he's sheltered. He loves his mom. He's kind of a jerk teenager. He causes the death of his whole family without even realizing right, it. Yeah. And then he gets set up to get murdered, and yeah. never even sees it coming. Agree. <laughs> Greedo's got a. Gerdo's really the the regulus black. Of yeah, this, <laughs> this book. Yeah, I always felt like we should have gotten a little more regulus from. Uh, oh yeah, hundred percent regulus. I wanted more. I wonder if they were deleted. Deleted. Like, I wonder if she like. You know that in in her head she knows oh, more yeah. about regulus. Like, Does she ever releases that like encyclopedia. Because I remember them talking about her doing that. Maybe like a you know Harry Potter encyclopedia. It's gotta be hard regulus to make- black. It's gotta be hard to make yourself do that kind of work when you've got a castle. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't. No, God knows. <laughs> but like she, but like she could she could still like have some good Harry Potter ideas and then like oh, yeah, get like, get some people on. in and be like, Alright, look, you here's where we're going. Right. Give me fifty pages Thank tomorrow you. and I'll yeah. I'll give it a give it a glance. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of those characters in Harry Potter that I want. Yeah. I want I more feel- of. Regulus is at the top of my list. I always felt like we were going to get more Regulus. Yeah. And he just disappeared. Because there was so much more to him than Sirius ever knew. And yeah, yeah, yeah. How sad is that, you know? Like... Sad. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Adolescence After uh... Adolescence After Alderaan. Potter Talk. <laughs> Potter Talk. <laughs> this process. is Regulus Talk. <laughs> regulus. Yeah, it's not even general Harry Potter. It's like a very specific minor <laughs> very character. Specific. Never <laughs> even appears on the page. He's only discussed and never shows up. <laughs> he's, the, he's a real good doe. But... He's a real good doe. <laughs> if you want more Potter talk, write in. We can do yeah, it. We can do it. We can do it forever. We can do Potter talk forever. Oh. Write in with your favorite minor character minor character and we'll do 15 minutes <laughs> minimum on that <laughs> you think i couldn't do 15 minutes on colin creepy's younger brother i could do 15 minutes dennis on creepy? colin creepy's yes. <laughs> brother dennis creepy <laughs> we're ready <laughs> so we have nothing more to say about yeah, this yeah i book. think i think that means we're done <laughs> <laughs> i mean i am hopeful like i i after the A.C. Crispin tale, I was like, okay. Yeah, the A.C. Crispin tale makes me feel like we're on the right track. I'm looking at the cover, and there's a picture of the devil guy on it, and that makes me... Yeah. I- I'm interested in him. Yeah, and I got, feel like maybe now that we have... story. Yeah, I think maybe the fact that we have the Biths and Greedo right, out, of the, out of the way yeah. will let it sort of open up and be more... Um, yeah. I feel like giving them stories was a mistake. Like, they're too... Right, too iconic. Like They're too iconic. They're too sort of laden down with yeah. are, significant, are, significance. Bits, final question. Is the Bits... The, it's the same band that ends up trying to murder... Yeah, gotta be. Murder, uh... Cy Snoodles and Max Rebo. Right. Yeah. They didn't seem that bad. <laughs> maybe it's different myths. Maybe. Yeah. Or maybe they just. I mean, it's three years. You know, who knows? Yeah. Who knows happen. what could happen to Moss Eisley in three yeah. years? So. But I mean, I wonder if Jizz Whaling is really dominated by myths. Like, if you'd have. More it than seems one like it. It seems like that's, band. that's their kind of 
they talk about their like mouths and like how they can play the instruments and yeah, but I assumed it was the same the same group of myths. Yeah, they're nasty. <laughs> yeah, no, they really take a turn. Maybe they had some gambling debts from. That could easily happen given the band manager. Like the guy who's our narrator could leave the band and the right. rest of the band be stuck there because of the gambling stuff. Right, and like just killing everybody trying to get some. <laughs> oh, do we want to quickly? Is there a little bit of time? Talk about the Casablanca. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. So it was interesting the way that Casablanca was used in uh, the A.C. Crispin tale because, I mean, it's primarily, I feel like Casablanca is primarily remembered as a love story. Right. And, and that aspect was not. Not at all, yeah. Part of it. But I think that ultimately Casablanca is primarily a friendship story. Yes. And right. I think the that ending, it, yeah. that's where it comes in and that A.C. Crispin really finds that yeah and the sort of idea of being stuck in like a location that you know is a sort of transient strange yeah you know filled with people from other places right who are yeah i never would have made the connection between moss eisley and casablanca but once she puts it there right like it's it's like It makes complete sense. You have the stormtroopers as a kind of occupying force standing in from the Nazis. They don't have total control over this place, but you also don't want to cross them. Right. There's this bar where everyone gathers together. People are trying to sell things. People are trying not to be noticed. People don't want to be seen. There's gambling. There's violence. I mean, it is tons like Casablanca. Yeah. And I'm sure that's not an accident. Like, I I can imagine that George Lucas watched Casablanca. I mean, like, uh, supposedly, I think I read this on IMDb Trivia, so do not quote me, but I think, um, is, which is very cool, Jabba's based on, oh my god, what's that actor's name? Sydney Greenstreet? Yeah. No! That's what I've read, I swear to I believe you, but I'm not okay with it. No, I'm not okay with it, I think it's horrible. <laughs> but apparently that's, that's, uh... And I think it has more to do he with, does, like... He does smoke the hookah, sort of, yeah, like... Yeah, and, like, the camera angles of, like... Because if you watch uh, Maltese Falcon, I think more so than um, Casablanca, like, the placement of the camera just makes him look, like, even, like, larger. And, like, right, I mean, like, Sidney Greenstreet was certainly, like, a large man, but they yeah, but act like... gross, like... <laughs> no, but in those old movies from the 40s, they act like he is just... The fa- they act like he is Jabba, like right, he is right. the biggest, yeah, <laughs> fattest, hugest thing ever. When like he's he's just like a bigger guy. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder but, like if that seed was sort of planted as like yeah. I can see I mean, that, I but I could. I could. I also feel like yeah. Them, yeah. I think, but I also feel like the scenes where they're in the cantina sort of use the cantina very much like Rick's or like the blue yeah. parrot get used in Casablanca. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, obviously the letters of transit yeah, are a big. Yeah. Yeah. And the, it's the start of it. And like, because we recently watched Casablanca. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> this is what we do. Um, Uh-oh. Hang well, on. Something's gone terribly wrong here. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll just have to edit this last part because... My headphones went bananas. Hang oh, on. No. I think I can turn them back on. Okay. And all of a sudden I like heard sounds. <laughs> what is going on? 
There we go. Okay. I think you're back on my ears now. Yeah, it sounds like. Yeah, somehow like <laughs> I I brushed it I brushed against something somewhere and oh, no. suddenly just like you weren't in my headphones anymore. I and was Kesha's, outside. <laughs> Kesha's TikTok was in my headphones. <laughs> 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 just like we're talking about Star Wars and then I'm hearing about how Kesha wakes up feeling like P. Diddy yeah. and <laughs> you could also do 15 minutes of Kesha talk down with that. per Kesha song request your preferred Kesha song right, and we will do 15, <laughs> we'll do 15 minutes of Kesha talk uh, oh but, I was saying we recently watched Casablanca not that long ago not that long ago and I was saying surprise surprise we're film nurses. <laughs> we yeah, we're always recently watching yes. any whatever it is. We right, we either recently recent, we either recently watch it or we really should watch it. Yeah, those are the two possible reactions. Right, yeah, either or. Um, but I remember like thinking that time we watched it was the Rift Tracks, <laughs> but I <laughs> which is so thinking, good. Which is really yeah, highly recommend. You think Rift Tracks doesn't do classic movies well, but. They really um, do. <laughs> it's some of the best. The yeah. the Wizard of Oz and Casablanca, and Casablanca are both so yeah. good. But I do remember thinking in that one, it, it was a much more sort of like intrigue action than I had. You know, because you do, I think you do, the way it's taken up in pop culture, like Casablanca is this sort of like, you know, unrequited. Right, it's about lo- the love story. Right, love story. And like, there's so much more to it. If you haven't seen Casablanca, go watch yeah, watch Casablanca. Don't just think that you've got it based on the culture because there's so much more. Yeah. That movie is hilarious. It's really funny. It's like. The dialogue in that movie is so sharp. There's so many amazing quips. Yeah, and there's like a lot of really like, you know, sort of hidden kind of jokes. And it's just, yeah, it's really well done. Yeah, if you haven't seen it and you think you've gotten it from. Yeah, and you know, Claude Rains just. Yeah, for me, kind of runs away with it. He's so funny. Yeah, um, and it is really like at the end, right? It is about a friendship, and um, that's what sort of keeps those characters going. Yeah, in it, and so yeah. Welcome to Casablanca. <laughs> <laughs> I just got through. Play it again, Casablanca talk. <laughs> Another hour on Casablanca. That's what happens when. We don't get as much from the text as usual. We just start free associating. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we'll be back at it. Yeah, we'll be back next week with, uh... I want to say Dark Apprentice, but that's not correct. It's still not Dark Apprentice. <laughs> it's not Dark Apprentice. Imagine if we just, like, went back and were like, let's try it again. We're to read Dark Apprentice again. No, we don't want to read it again. We're not going to read it again. The next one of those books is called... Dark Shadows, Airs, Force Rising. Yeah, <laughs> Dark Force Rising, which is like basically Dark Apprentice. I'm not wrong. No. 100%. And Dark Force Rising, the cover, oh, lays in a turtleneck. What? <laughs> Unacceptable. <laughs> That's not how Leia dresses. And she looks like she maybe just ate a lemon. <laughs> She's a real, real sour face. And Han's pointing a gun at her head. <laughs> Come around, she's bananas. He's like, get that turtleneck off. <laughs> it really looks like he's about to kill her. <laughs> Maybe um, she saw what they did with her hair. But like, also, we're getting real loopy. But her hair is 
She looks like Aunt Lydia from The Handmaid's Tale. She just looks like Aunt Lydia. Oh, no. Yeah, she just looked like she aged maybe 20 years since the last Thrawn book. That's how you know she's having a girl, because the baby is stealing her beauty. Um, I have two girls, so don't at me. (laughs) Thrawn looks like either he just went to the bathroom or has to go. (laughs) He's making... He's standing really straight. I think he definitely, like... Needs to poop. Yeah. Or, yeah. He he's trying to get to the end of this, like, phone call or something. He's like, he's like okay, uh, that sounds good. No. The other person jerk, on the other jerk. line just keeps talking. He's like, Can't get that wrapped up. Oh, no. <laughs> Luke's hair is feathered, like, a beautiful... Yeah, it's really, like, heavily parted. Well, Leia's hair is parted like a serial killer. No, she's like Nurse Ratchet. Like, she looks like a villain from, like, a post apocalyptic (laughs) world. She has on a a turtleneck and a high collared jacket. Yeah, Yeah, she's definitely definitely an aunt from (laughs) Hannah's. Hot, though. Same outfit he always wears. Yeah, right. Because he's like a cartoon character, which is the one outfit. Uh, and we've got the Millennium Falcon really big and some yeah. stuff blowing up. Yeah, they're on like some sort of red desert planet or... Yeah. And I'm like... not seeing Skinny Santa here. No, but, uh... which is a bad sign for us. <laughs> I mean, he has to come back, right? You can't drop that bomb and then walk away. Like, you have to be like, to oh yeah, he's through. out there. <laughs> I'm going to need some more Skinny Santa. Yeah. Kablah blah. I need more Kablah blah, like <laughs> more ASAP. It's on a t-shirt. Give me Kablablog. That is. Send in Kablablog. Yeah, please send in reinforcements, aka Kablablog. <laughs> when we, when we adapt the Thrawn trilogy into a uh, Broadway musical, yes. instead of sending the clowns, we'll have send, send in Kablablog. Oh man. <laughs> Our parody yeah. Star Wars musical. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like we should just do like an expanded universe general. Yeah. Like, almost like a sort of, uh, you know, like, little snippets of, like, our favorite expedition. Like a Follies kind <laughs> yeah, of situation. Yeah, like, like a, you know, in and out of different stories. Just Yeah, like a Follies and, like, parody songs from yeah. famous musicals and, like, so, like, the Muppet Show, Star Wars, Wars sketches. Yeah. No Muppets, though. More straight, straight lace than that. Yeah. But, like, the parody songs. Parody songs. They're, like, super epic. Because, like, I can't write songs, but I could probably write parody songs. Yeah. <laughs> there should be Kablava. Yeah, there should be Kablava. Where is Kablava? <laughs> okay, stop. <laughs> I, think we, I think we should be stopped. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. To stick, tune in next week. Also, let us know if there are any minor... Harry Potter characters you'd like to hear us talking about, or what your favorite Kesha song is, you know, just uh, we'll engage. (laughs) Whatever you want to chime in with, we're here to hear it. It's our podcast. We do what we want. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Bye! Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you would like more information, please check out our website, adolescenceafteralderon.wordpress.com, for show notes and info about upcoming episodes. 
We're also on Twitter, after underscore Alderaan. We're on Instagram, Adolescence After Alderaan. And if you would like to touch base with us, ask questions, participate in the conversation, you can email us at adolescenceafteralderon at gmail.com. Thanks so much. 